Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello, everybody. I am Louise Greenwood from um, Wessex LMC's Education and Training Director, and I'm delighted that um, you joined us in another podcast. And today I'm talking with Sarah Kay and JD Sporbrick from Dorset, and we're going to talk about patient safety. So hello, Sarah. Hello, JD. I wonder if you just want to uh, introduce ourselves to the audience that's sitting today. Hi, Louise. My name is Sarah Kay, and I'm the GP Clinical Lead for Patient Safety at NHS Dorset. Thanks for inviting us today. Good to see you. And JD. Yeah, uh, equally, Louise, thank you for having us. I'm JD Swarbrick. My role in NHS Dorset is patient safety specialist. So before we get into the nitty gritty of patient safety, can there's so much pressure on primary care at the moment. People are feeling absolutely overwhelmed, burnt out, there aren't enough people. Um, patient safety, is this what this one will sort of stick to beat us with? What, why should we be taking notice of it at the moment? I think in these times of significant pressures across the whole NHS, now is the time to really focus on patient safety, Louise. Um, the, the, the NHS patient safety strategy that I'll talk about in a little bit of detail, if I may, is built upon some of the, the real kind of big cases from the past that, that staff will be aware of, people working in the NHS, that were quite upsetting in the, at the time when they were in the media. So that's um, cases like Mid-Staffordshire, um, what happened at the Trust there, Morecambe Bay, more recently Shrewsbury and Telford and the maternity services there. Um, so really, um, these, these big cases fundamentally um, led to a review of how patient safety is viewed across the system. So, so the NHS um, patient safety strategy was published by NHS England in July 2019. Not great timing because then we started to go into the pandemic. So it, it didn't kind of take off with great flight, um, but they have been working away in the background and doggedly working away to introduce some of the changes. It is a transformational strategy. So we do look at patient safety quite differently to how we did before. So, so before you carry on, JD, yes, the examples you gave us, they didn't sound like they were from primary care. No. And that's one of the, that's one of the um, things that, that, that I think we, we really need to focus on as well is that these things don't happen in isolation. They happen within whole systems. So in those cases, the, the voice of general practice wasn't heard. So if they had patients that were maybe coming to harm um, through some of the, the, the goings on, um, it, the voice wasn't being heard by the regulator, CQC, NHS England, for example. So it is a whole system approach that, that, we, need to, that, that we need to tackle it from. In my view, okay, that's helpful. So you just said there's a there's a few ma major strands we need to focus on. Yeah, so I think the one big change that is coming in for general practice, and the date has changed. It was going to be this summer, but that's the introduction of the statutory medical examiner processes. So that's coming in in April 2023, where all deaths in primary care and community will be reviewed by a medical examiner. So. That is a statutory change and it links to patient safety because it's important that we look at when things have gone wrong. So the medical examiner process has come out from the Harold Shipman inquiry. Again, quite a long time ago, it's been a long time coming. Um, but, but to identify either performance concerns um, early or to look more generally at quality of care. And that's where I see we're going to see some big benefits in, in the whole pathways and sort of how patients w uh, uh, are cared for through the system. So there's a, the, the, the strategy itself draws upon 
insight, which is how we, uh, the intelligence we have from reported incidents, involvement, so that's involving patients in their own safety and in their own care and improvement so quality improvement sort of really using that quality improvement methodology to change how things are delivered um, to make them safer for people okay, so those those are the main things no that's that's good to know about the, the three strands and, and Sarah you're a GP working at the front line um how important do you think it is for general practices to wake up and, and listen to this that's happening at the moment and how relevant is it I think it is really important, particularly, as JD says, when the system is under pressure. Um, But if I may, I'd like to just talk about a case study um, to put into context some of the the things that we're thinking about um, when we're looking at patient safety. So, um, for example, if you had a young person um, in an incident that we look at um, in the case some time ago of a young person living with a long term condition, um, a condition that affects her mobility, who has some issues with her spatial awareness and has no memory issues, but sometimes does find it difficult to process and use new information. This person lived independently with minimal support and was able to do part-time voluntary work. Now, this person attended her GP practice in order to receive her injection of Depo-Provera, the long-acting contraceptive, and was seen by a practice nurse who intended to administer her injection. During the course of this procedure, the nurse accidentally wrongly administered a different substance, flupentixol decanoate. Flupentixol is a long-acting drug used in the treatment of schizophrenia or other long-term severe mental health problems and was accidentally administered instead of the depot injection that had been intended. And over the course of the next 12 days, that patient's physical condition deteriorated as a result of the side effects of this injection. And it actually culminated in an extensive stay in her local acute hospital as an inpatient, which is quite a sad outcome. So that must have been horrific for everybody involved and quite um, traumatising, I would imagine, for the nurse who realised what they had done. Was it reported at the time and, and, and who did the nurse report it to? So, yes, it was really upsetting for everybody involved. And we know that nobody goes to work to do a bad job. Everybody tries their very best. Um, and the the nurse did realise and did immediately apologise to the patient and spoke to a GP in the practice who was working um, alongside her. And they checked the side effects of flupentixol on the day. And safety netting advice was given to the patient that she should expect some potential stiffness in her legs. And if that did happen, then she should take some paracetamol. The patient was then subsequently given the correct contraceptive injection and seemed well at the time. Um, So was sent away and was told that she could ring back if she did run into any trouble. So we, so Louise, um, in the case so far, we've got an unintentional error. So no, there was, as nobody comes to work to, to do the wrong thing. Um, but it was um, important that um, there was an apology given at the time by the nurse to the patient um, and um, that help was given to sort any um, uh, um, problem, um, to seek help if there were any additional problems and anticipate any risks. So um, the, 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 the bit about the apology is, is really important in patient safety for us because there is, a, there is two types of duty of candour. There's a professional duty of candour and a legal duty of candour. And in this first instance, the professional duty of candour, so nurses and doctors, they're required to tell a patient when something hasn't gone right and, and to offer that apology immediately. Um, and formal reporting when there's going to be an investigation, when there's been a significant level of harm is important. But that comes on later in this case. So um, at the time, the right thing was done. 
and, and a, an apology was given to the patient at that point. So who actually should the nurse ring? Who actually should the nurse tell when something untoward happens? Who do you ring and how many people do you ring? Or do you email? So um, there are different processes, obviously, in different different areas. So we would expect that there would be a, a record made of the incident in the practice, so internally. So that some practices will have internal reporting systems. In, in Dorset, we have um, a, a web reporting tool, so that can be used to report to the CCG. And had that been done in this case, then we could have offered support to the practice in terms of next steps and what to do. So it is important that is reported. But at this stage of the incident, when the harm hadn't really been realised, the right thing was done and an internal investigation was started and the nurse had made the apology. And just as sort of an aside, obviously at the time there was a CCG. We don't really have a CCG anymore. So yeah. is it still very clear on the websites and things who to go to? Because I guess it's part of the ICS and... Yes, and, and certainly, um, and talking to Hampshire and Isle of Wight colleagues, they again have transitioned to an ICB this, the website has uh, hasn't changed. The information about the patient safety team is still there. All those mechanisms that you would normally contact within what used to be the CCGs, now the ICB, do still exist. So those things haven't changed at all. Lovely. So, Sarah, what happened next? So there was a bit of a time between the error and the notification, I think. Absolutely. So although it was internally um, escalated within the practice, um, actually it wasn't escalated outside, as JD said, until a little bit later on. So the family did get in contact with the GP on several occasions. So from our, our records, we can see that on day six, day eight, and also they attended an out-of-hours clinic on day 10. And this was because they were worried about worsening symptoms and reduced functional ability compared with baseline. And it turns out with the retrospectoscope that the risks of giving this wrong drug to somebody who was clinically naive just hadn't been appreciated. And in fact, incorrect and underplayed messages had been given inadvertently to the family. And I think that this demonstrates one of the things that we, we know as GPs, if somebody keeps on coming back and you're not expecting it, um, you really do need to dig a bit deeper. Maybe you need to phone a friend. So it turned out that they um, actually attended the local A&E on day eight as well. And at that occasion, um, the symptoms were recognised as those of the wrong drug, but there was no reversing agent given and again sent home with worsening advice. So I think that looking back on things and trying to get the learning, which is the really important part of any adverse incident investigation, um, we needed to consider as at practice level that the impact of the wrong drug could be more profound. So, for example, you could get some more information from Toxbase. Um, you could phone the local uh, community mental health team to see whether they would have any experience of this type of problem. Because, again, it's not something that you would necessarily come across regularly in general practice. So, um, in fact, the GP did refer to the community rehab team for assessment of this patient, given the reduction in her baseline activities. And it was actually the CRT team who um, called 999 to get the patient admitted because of her deteriorating condition. So the family at this stage were acting on her behalf because she was very anxious and she wasn't able to articulate her concerns. And I think that this shows that actually it wasn't a single point of failure here. Um, something happened that hadn't been intended to happen but actually there were multiple health teams from multiple providers both the in hours the out of hours and the hospital teams and this illustrates really nicely the complexity of a lot of our patient pathways um, 
people who are very complex. And it's that Swiss cheese model where a lot of things are lining up in different parts of the system, potentially in different organizations. So when you look back over a patient journey, quite often you can see it's an unfortunate alignment of several errors or several staffing problems, for example. I wonder, just just hearing you talk about it, Sarah, whether there were some unfortunate assumptions made on the basis of her um, existing condition. Um, So therefore, assumptions were made in, in the wrong direction. Um, which feels like which, which is easily done, um, isn't it? Well, I think that that's an interesting point, and I think whenever you're you're looking after anybody, actually understanding what their best baseline is and how they're different today compared with what is usual is really important. And particularly if you've done a lot of frailty work, um, that's something that that you're, you're very aware of because somebody who's ninety might be very different to the next person who's ninety. But again, anybody who's got any comorbidities of whatever age, you know, what's usual for them? What what kind of activities of daily living are they able to do? Because that's going to give you a really clear steer about how different things are on this occasion. And because it's a story, and I'm interested, um, before we go on with the complaint, was the patient okay? Unfortunately not. Um, She ended up being admitted to hospital and was in hospital for a significant number of weeks until the the drug had gone out of her system and she could return to a functional level again. So it did take a long time to recover and therefore it met the criteria for serious harm under under our um, incident framework. So, um, yeah, we did need to start a serious incident investigation in this case. I think also to add here that at this point, um, it's really important that the legal duty of candour applies. So obviously CQC need to be informed of these incidents. Um, So there is all those kind of mechanisms start to come into play. Had the practice informed the CCG, now ICB, earlier, um, we could have, again, supported this and suggested that that these mechanisms needed to needed to be um, put through. So we would, on general practices behalf, put the incident onto the national um, reporting system called STICE, the Strategic Executive Information System, which is where serious incidents are managed. And that system is accessed by CQC. So that would have informed CQC as well that, that, that it happens because... Um, one of when CQC come and do their inspections, what they expect to see is uh, a good system for managing um, patient safety and risk within practices, and and that these very rare, and it is absolutely, and that's why I think it's important that reaching out for help and support because they rarely happen. It may be that a practice has one of these incidents every two or three years, maybe it, they are they aren't common in general practice. So absolutely reach out. Um, but yeah, so she, she she did recover and was discharged home in the end, but it did take some time, Louise. And okay, importantly, so, yeah, the family weren't involved early on in the investigation and couldn't give their perspective, which I think led on to a complaint, which we'll probably talk about next. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So the complaint, so when did the complaint come into this, this situation? That Was that when the patient's in hospital? Yes, it yeah. was when the patient was in hospital. So obviously the family were then concerned because their daughter needed ongoing care um, for a significant time. And they were concerned that she hadn't been afforded the right care at the start of this, this journey and she deteriorated um, and they were trying to access more and more support. So the, the complaint was made to NHS England um, 
who started a complaint investigation and as soon as we were able to join up with the practice we could support one investigation which met both needs so we we did an a serious we supported them with a serious incident investigation which also answered the family's complaint because there are lots of people that need support in this situation not not least the actual nurse who gave the drug absolutely Uh, the nurse was really very upset uh, really devastated and um a number of human factors as we've discussed contributed to the error on the day but ultimately she was the person who'd administered the injection and that's really really difficult position to find yourself in as a professional um, so they were supported by the practice team internally um, initially but once the ccg as was was involved uh, the professional lead was able to offer support to reflect on practice and we're very lucky that in dorset we've got um, here for each other which is a staff well-being hub but every training hub should have a staff well-being offer and also there is um, practitioner health which is a route for other um, support to be offered such as um, counselling mental health support for for doctors with mental health concerns um, and there may be other practice staff that can be included on that as well. So there can be LMC support that can be offered for doctors and other practice staff who are having a difficult time and clearly it's, it's really important that everybody does pull together to see what can be done to support that person because ultimately we're all humans um, and everybody can make mistakes. You know, we try our best, but when working under pressure, mistakes can happen. And there isn't a reason to not report them because you can imagine the terror of I might be struck off, what's everybody going to think of me, Every I must feel a failure. You can imagine all those things going through. So many um, lovely people in healthcare suffer from imposter syndrome anyway. They always worry they, they're not worthy enough to be there. So I imagine there's some... Um, there's a huge emotional cost, isn't there? And do we know, was the nurse off sick for a long time? How, how did the nurse go back into practice? Tell what happened. So the nurse, um, we were able to support her. So our practice nurse facilitator was able to, to meet with her and go through the learning from the incident and reflect on on it with her and I think it's important that for professionals and and the the nursing and midwifery council it's part of our um, I'm a nurse by background part of the code of conduct to report and investigate and and apologize to to patients who've been harmed or there's been a mistake or an error so a professional she was supported in this case and didn't as far as I understand need any time off but obviously it took a little while for her confidence to return and and that's you know that that needs support and the practice in this case were supportive as well so the manager and the partners in the practice were very supportive uh, uh, about that and lots of learning was found from this incident and changes were made which is which is important so before we go on to the changes can i just check the family were they did they accept the complaint was that was that all resolved um Yes, it was. It was once once that the the serious incident report had been shared with them, they were able to read that through and reflect on it. We were able to incorporate their view in the report, so they were satisfied, and that was used to to close off the complaint as well. So it did reach a satisfactory conclusion in the end. The only thing was that they they couldn't they couldn't find the confidence back in that practice again, and they registered at another another practice locally. 
that's yeah, it's, that is understandable, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But to, to get closure, and uh, I think we all feel if something has happened that you feel if your voice hasn't been heard, something untoward has happened, but you have a, a, a good explanation. As you said, Sarah, we are all human. We are all culpable. Some of us don't do jobs where we could give someone a lethal injection. Um, and I just think that's important to, to to have that closure. So lessons to be learned. So in, as an individual practice level, do they change much on a sort of a um, or a locality, sort of more of an ICB level? What How have things changed? So, yeah, there was quite a lot of involvement with our medicines management team, actually, in this case, because there were uh, as, uh, uh, they had a really good review of the medicine storage and labelling within the practice. Some questions were asked about whether the flupentix or decoenate should be there. So some wider questions, systemic, systemic questions were asked about how those patients are managed um, uh, under shared care arrangements with mental health. So that's wider learning as well. Um, but the, the practice itself did develop a really clear flowchart for administration of injections as an aid memoir that they, they've had laminated in, in the clinical rooms. There were changes made to the electronic patient record system because in this case, what had happened happened was uh, previously uh, another attendance, the wrong thing had got, been got out. So, so the, the um, flupentixel was actually in her record, but it was it was then recorded as not given and the right one. So the name appeared, but that, that couldn't be removed or, or it was too much of a trigger. It, it kind of gave a bias that it was the right thing when the nurse looked at the vial. So um, th there were some changes made to uh, system one in that case. Um, easier access to talk space has been added to, so there's been a link added to the practice no, internet. I'm just going to butt in now and say what is talk space? I'll let Sarah answer that one. Thank you. So talk space is a um, in an IT mechanism whereby you can look up um, things that have been given too much of. So um, quite often you'll come across it as an SHO working in A&E. Um, and so whatever it is, you can look up um, what the likely side effects are. Um, you do need a login and that's why um, adding it to the practice internet was really important because if you don't have a username and password, you can't actually access the information. Um, so it is for sort of specialist use for healthcare professionals only. It's not um, intended to be for public um, accessibility, um, but it is certainly something that on occasion is very, very useful to have. So wider learning points, Sarah, what, what have you seen change or what would you like to see change? If people are listening to this, OK, I can change two things in my practice. Having heard this story, what would you like to see changed? So just to start with, I think that actually being really open is important mm -hmm. because there's always learning, as JD said. And if we share what the learning is, we can prevent it happening again. And obviously anything that goes wrong is, is unfortunate. But things that go wrong repeatedly that have been brought up in other surgeries, um, it, it's pretty you know, difficult to live with that. So it would be great if we can get to the stage where people who have significant event meetings who find things that have gone wrong are actually really open about them to make sure that they share with others in their PCN and even beyond their PCN so that we have a real culture of learning because that's the only way that in such a complex system we can make things as safe as possible for patients. Um, JD is going to talk to you about some of the national strategy now. Yes I, I agree um, Louise I think it's about that being open and, and sort of inviting sort of support because these incidents don't happen in isolation they happen in other practices and they happen as part of the the, the system for the patient so with the nhs um strategy that's come out that's one thing that i think we've always been a number of us as patient safety specialists have been really keen that we work collaboratively with all colleagues 
and make sure that, that the whole system is looked at and taken into scope when we look at patient safety. So we're going to have the opportunity to plan that in the future with the new strategy that we've got to manage incidents. So the whole language is going to change the culture around it. We'll be targeting it and working with others in sort of looking at maximizing um, the learning and being able to prevent harm for patients in the system. So what we've done um, sort of locally in Dorset, and I know in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, they're also working on um, linking primary care up to the learning from patient safety events platform, which is the new, the practices may know about NRLS, the National Reporting and Learning Service that was as recently um, it, it's going and it's being replaced by this other system. So um, a number of uh, us as ICBs are trying to think about how best to support and uh, practices to, to report to that system. And it will be different in each area. So I won't labour on about how we're going to do it in Dorset because in Hampshire, Isle of Wight, it, in uh, Wiltshire, it may be slightly different and that's okay. But as long as the, the, the reporting is, is made, I think that's really important. So that's one big strand. The other big strand is around training and education in patient safety. So there is new um, training, national training been made available through e-learning for health and level one essentials for all staff in the NHS. Um, that's out and can be accessed and is being evaluated. We haven't, we've done a very soft rollout in Dorset on that. Um, we, we've just... Um, opened it up to our board members. Some of the trusts have opened it out to certain staff groups, but we haven't yet gone into primary care, understanding the pressures and the enormity and all the mandatory training there is to do. We're waiting to see what the evaluation of that initial training is before we, we invite primary care colleagues or give them um, encourage them to, to do so. So th th that's the other sort of uh, another strand that I think will come maybe fairly soon. And the other big change will be the the approach that we have to investigations. So we'll be we'll be trying to involve practices where it's appropriately as much as we can. That's so useful. Um, so I think the learning from this is um, share share even you know if, if you feel you've, you've made a mistake please share with your colleagues they'll give, you support, they'll give you support but they'll also know kind of how serious it is and what you need to do because it's only when you share it with somebody else can you have sort of a you know a general a group decision on it and I, and I suppose you know the the idea is possibly report more than you think you should because somebody else further up the chain is going to say no actually that's fine don't worry about it or we'll take it further because sometimes it's quite hard when you're very close to something to, to assess um how urgent it is we've mentioned a number of things i think what we'll do with this podcast we'll put out when we put this on our website we've got links to the nhs patient safety strategy um the e-learning for health which would be great is that, is that quite secondary care based at, at the moment or is it still relevant for primary care it it, it it's it's supposed to be for all. Um, it, the case scenarios may be a little bit secondary. Okay, care so we'll slanted, see we'll see but it is it is appropriate for all. That's fine. We'll put that out there. Um, I think duty of candor links. I think that's really important. You, you, you talked about the two levels of that. We'll talk about that one too. Um, wellbeing hubs. They are absolutely everywhere. We're advocates of the wellbeing hubs. They are for everybody in primary care at every level. There's all sorts of things. If anybody's listening to this, thinking never heard of them, don't know what it's all about. Please email me. So I'm um, Louise Greenwood. Um, uh, uh, by six LMCs, there's lots of information on our website, so please don't hesitate to get more involved in that because that is available free of charge for primary care. Um, and we'll just make sure that we just carry on with the sort of more of the education as we go. And it's been so interesting. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much, JD, to hear this story. Uh, it has really put it into context for us. 
Thanks for inviting us, Louise. Thank you, Louise. Nice to see you. See you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Wessex LNCs supporting you and your practice. 